Until we find the blessing or the gift of our wound, we never resolve it. And that is the quote of the day. The quote of the day show. I'm your host, Sean Croxton of SeanCroxton.com. Today's featured speaker is Debbie Ford, who is the author of one of my favorite books of all time, The Dark Side of the Light Chasers. I highly recommend it. And today, Debbie is showing us how to heal from our past, how to heal from our wounds. You know, Dr. Martini, he always talks about how there's a polarity in everything. For every negative, there's a positive. And Tony Robbins always talks about where we focus our attention is where our energy flows. So what happens is this. With the wounds you've experienced in life, we focus our attention on the negative aspects of them, how they've hurt us, how they've hurt other people, how they've hindered us, how they've just held us back from living the life that we want. But seldom do we ask the question as to how that experience, how that wound has become a positive force in our lives. Yes, I said a positive force in our lives. How has that wound been a blessing? How has that wound been a gift? Because once you find that gift, once you claim that gift, the way you see the wound, the way you see the world, the way you see yourself completely changes and the power that that wound had over you completely disappears. Here's Debbie. In order for us to move in and out of our story effortlessly, we must make peace with the past. Making peace with our past means really going in and looking to see what's unhealed inside of me. What are the lumps in my recipe? What from my past am I still holding on to where there's pain or anger or regret? Because each event from our past is the beginning of yet another story. So I have a story about playing tennis. When I was young, my sister played tennis, my brother played tennis, but I was left-handed and I was very, very skinny. And they said, you can't play tennis. When I got older, when I was in my teen years, I had a boyfriend who was a tennis pro. And I remember him asking me, do you want to go play tennis? And of course, I went into my whole story about they never let me play tennis. I can't play tennis. I was too skinny to play tennis. And as I unraveled that story, because even he could see, he didn't even know me, he could see that that was a story. But as I unraveled that story, what I realized is that I had so much pain about being so little and so thin. By 13, I was five foot six and maybe weighed 80 pounds. I always thought of myself as olive oil with big hair. And I created this whole story that I wasn't athletic and that I was weak and fragile and I had to be careful because that's how I interpreted my parents' actions or what they said to me about myself and sports. When this came up for me, I had to go back and actually see what did I make it mean about me that I couldn't play tennis. And of course, I did grow up with that whole feeling that I was too weak, I was too small, I couldn't do things. So I had to then look to find what is the blessing or the gift of that interpretation, because until we find the blessing or the gift, we never resolve that issue. 
it's still an open wound. And even though it might have a Band-Aid over it, it may have a Band-Aid over it for five years or 10 years or 20 years. All that has to happen is somebody comes along and says something that triggers that wound, and all the same feelings are just there, hidden beneath the surface of our consciousness. When I went into this issue, I could see all the pain I had about being small and the embarrassment. And I remember going to school and I wore two pairs of pants. So when I was looking for the gift, what I realized is that because I was so ashamed of my size and felt so skinny and awkward, I created a great sense of style. I really had to see what clothes look good on me, how I could make myself look fuller. And that led me to my first career, which was in retailing and clothes and fashion. In fact, there was a time when I really designed clothes. And I love that. And I love it today still. And I don't think if I hadn't had that awkwardness and felt so ashamed of my body that I would have put so much attention to try to figure out, well, what makes people look good and why do different clothes look good on different people? So it actually became one of my gifts. And that's what I'm going to assert here. Any of our wounds from our past, anything that has really hurt us, if we look and we take our time to examine What could I have learned from this? Well, who am I today that I wouldn't have been without this? How have I overcompensated for that? Because oftentimes our wounds make us feel embarrassed or ashamed or not good enough. So then we'll overcompensate by becoming very, very smart or very good at our money issues. Something will always be driving us. There's always something underneath that wound that will drive us. And the minute that we extract the wisdom... The minute that we actually claim the gift, because it's not enough to be able to see it in your mind. This is a process that we're in right now in this program is to, how do I feel that gift? How do I internalize that gift where I know it's mine, where I understand it, where I feel grateful and appreciative that I struggled with that or I suffered through that incident or that that pain actually gave me something? I'd like to give you an example of a woman and her story and then take you through the process so that you can see how it's done. When Allie was eight years old, she was in the second grade, her mother dropped her off at school one day. And before heading off, Allie's mom gave her a big hug and told her that she'd be back around two o'clock to pick her up. After school, when Allie walked to where all the moms and dads picked up kids, she didn't spot her mom. She watched car after car come and fill up with kids and drive away, and 20 minutes later, all her friends had disappeared, but she was left standing all alone. She was eight. She didn't know what to do, so she kept looking around and looking down the street, and her mom never came. By the time the parking lot had emptied completely, Allie was feeling very scared, desperate, and alone. Certain that her mom had forgotten her and not knowing what else to do, Allie began to walk home. She remembers feeling really embarrassed and ashamed that she had been forgotten, and she kind of slouched her shoulders and drooped her head, and she didn't want anyone to know that she was there. That day in the second grade, Allie made some decisions that would affect the rest of her life. Allie decided that there must be something wrong with her, and that's why her mom had left her behind. This became Allie's story. 
Allie made her mom's absence mean she didn't belong and therefore she wouldn't be loved. After all, if she was okay, if she belonged, her mother would have never forgotten her. She also decided that she couldn't depend on people. This was still one of the lumps in Allie's recipe. It limited the amount of love, the amount of intimacy that she experienced with other people. Allie knew that this incident, this pain, had driven all of her actions and all of her choices towards the people she would get in relationships with. So she desperately wanted to find the pain of this incident so that she could move on with her life. I asked Allie to write down all the ways that those conclusions had negatively affected her life. Allie's list looked like this. I always have to go out of my way to be extra nice to people and do whatever I can to make them happy. I always follow the crowd so I won't be left out. I compromise my own needs for the needs of others. I can't speak up and say what I think or feel because then I might be left behind. I have to give all my power away to others. I asked Allie if she could see that she was still making her mother wrong for forgetting her that day. Although she had a great relationship with her mom, Allie could see that she still held some resentments about that incident. She could see that she unconsciously made her mother wrong each time she found herself acting out one of these behaviors. Allie had done years of therapy and other work on herself and was stunned to discover that she was still making her mom wrong and blaming her for not picking her up that day. I asked Allie what she was getting out of holding on to the incident. She slowly replied, I get to be right in my belief that I can't really count on anyone and that people aren't there when you need them. The next step was for Allie to think about and write down all the times that she co-created similar scenarios in her life. She found some comfort in affirming her story's truth. Allie found that in more than five other relationships, she was able to prove to herself that she was unimportant and that people wouldn't be there for her. It was a familiar story, and she knew it all too well. Allie had replayed the storyline countless times in her life, not only in her major relationships, but in little ways, like allowing herself to be passed over for a promotion or letting people cut in front of her in the drugstore line. Each time she was ignored or left behind, Allie not only had the satisfaction of being right about being unimportant, but she also got to make her mother wrong all over again for leaving her that day. Twenty years later, after losing a job and experiencing yet another failed relationship, Allie was ready to integrate this incident with all its pain. I asked Allie to close her eyes, look inside, and ask herself what she needed to do to heal from the effects of this incident. She said she wanted her mom to write her a letter telling her how sorry she was and acknowledging the pain that her actions had caused. Allie knew that her mom might not want to do this, but she felt she needed to ask anyway. I told her that if her mom was opposed to the idea, she could just as easily write a letter to herself from the perspective of her mother. Allie called her mother, and even though her mom could hardly remember this incident, she was more than willing to write the letter, knowing that it would support Allie's healing. This is what her mother wrote. Dear Allie, this is a letter of apology to you for the incident you shared with me when we last spoke. How hurt you were as a little girl when I promised to pick you up from school and I didn't show up. 
I'm so sorry that you had this experience. I wish I could change the past, but I can't. I can't imagine all the fear and abandonment that you must have felt and how scared you must have been. When you shared with me, I could hear in your voice all the pain and suffering that you still experience. I would like to tell you how sorry I am for that experience. You mean the world to me. I never meant to hurt you in any way. I'm glad that you shared this incident with me so that this experience can be healed. I hope this letter can heal some of the hurt and help you to find closure. If I can do anything else to help you in the process, please let me know. I love you and I take total responsibility. Please forgive me. Love you, Mom. Allie read these words and wept with a mixture of sadness and joy, the sadness of a little girl lost and alone, and the joy of a grown woman healing from the pain of her past. After Allie had spent a few days with the letter from her mom, she was ready to take the next step of extracting the wisdom that this trauma held for her. I asked Allie to close her eyes and consider what she had learned as a result of that incident. Allie told me that because of that event, she had decided she never wanted people to feel unimportant or left out. So she became an accountable, reliable, and trustworthy friend and family member. Allie looked at me with the certainty of a grown woman and said, If I tell you I'll be there, I'll be there no matter what. Showing up for people is a priority in my life. I am sensitive to people's needs and always try to show them how important they are. I then asked Allie how these gifts have served her in her life. It was easy to see how her warmth and caring had helped so many people and how it drove her to want to help, teach, and care for children. Her commitment to people is one of the things she loves most about herself. Standing in the presence of these gifts, Allie could appreciate the wisdom and the value she had gained from the trauma that had haunted her for so long. I explained to Allie that her feelings of being unimportant and left behind would most likely continue to arise because they had been with her a long time. The question was not how she could get rid of these feelings, but how she could be kind and compassionate to herself even while she was feeling them. I assured her that if she could love and accept herself, even when she was feeling unimportant or left behind, she would be able to use the pain as part of a recipe. We both agreed that the qualities born from her pain would be vital to her and her future. That was the late, great Debbie Ford. Her website is DebbieFord.com. Read her book, The Dark Side of the Light Chasers. You will, you will love that book. Trust me. This clip came from Debbie's audio program called The Answers Are Within You, available at Nightingale.com as well as Audible.com. And uh, that's it for me. I will see you tomorrow with Wayne Dyer. Peace. 